Gordon. Latu, Barada, Nick Toe. Welcome to another episode of Sci-Fi Nomads. I am Dustin. I am Lauren, introducing myself. Yes, yes, yes. This is April. Yes, who is not a person, but a time of the year. Well, there are also people named April. And that's why I specified. But yeah, it's April and... Uh, Springtime! The movie is not April, no. Uh, no. But we have birthdays coming up. Yes. I'm on the 28th. Lauren's on the 29th. Convenient. Yep. Yes, it's good to have birthdays at the same time, because then you just get one big extravaganza and we could both go to Decano's for free dinner. Yeah. But the movie we're talking about this time is... The Day the Earth Stood Still. I was going to build up to it a little. No, there's no building up to it. There's this just... is one of the, the... Okay, the original, the 1951 version, is on Rotten Tomatoes' top 50 sci-fi and fantasy movies. Absolutely. And it is absolutely spectacular. It is definitely one of my favorites. And then there's the 2008 remake. Oh my god. Oh. I mean, we had we had hope for it. We really did. And then it just kept well, We actually sucking. stopped about halfway through to grill up some some meat and Easter and lamb eat. chops. And then oh, no. No. It, it just it went downhill from there. Not the lamb chops, the movie. No, the lamb chops are great. Yeah. So the first one, the original, the best. A flying saucer lands in Washington, D.C. at the mall, and Klaatu emerges and gets shot. Right, almost right off the bat. Like, it's like, here's an alien visitor yeah. who appears to be coming in peace. He holds out an item, and bam! Yeah, flying shot. saucers coming down. The military scrambles. They get get troops there on the mall, because apparently they figured out the exact trajectory it was on. And Despite it going, what was it? Like 4,000 miles per hour? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was like 4,000. And then they, uh, yeah, he gets out. Everybody's okay, nervous, but okay. And then he pulls out a present for the president and gets shot. Yeah. Yeah. Don't pull stuff out. That's Don't whip it said? out. <laughs> yes. Phrasing. Oh, man. Yeah, so then he gets... Well, then Gort, his cyborg... His awesome cyborg robot friend. Yeah. And bodyguard. Gort comes out and melts the weapons. Gets rid of the tanks, the guns. (laughs) And Klaatu tells him to stand down. Boringa. Or something like that. And then they get the medic, and they take him off to the hospital where they find out... He seems pretty human, just not. Yeah, he says, he explains to the um, secretary, to the president, because the president doesn't even show up himself. Of course not. That would be, I guess... Dangerous. Dangerous. Yeah. Uh, But the secretary shows up, and he tells him he's traveled 250 million miles in five months to tell all of Earth uh, a a message. Yep. And then he won't... But he won't tell it to any one person. Right, because... Or any one nation, really. Giving the message to the representative of the U.S. president, not good enough. Giving the message to the U.S. president, unacceptable. It has to be to all of the world's leaders. Now, this is 1951, so we're seeing a uh, major conflict arise mm-hmm. here, where um, 
and, and the secretary points this out where there are some people who will not sit at the same table, uh, such as Russia right. or the Soviet Union at this point. Well, and, and at that point, there also would have been China. Which Chinese government would get to speak for China? Uh, they went to, and the, the Soviet Union was even sitting out the UN at that point in protest of the People's Republic of China not getting China's seat. Uh, but he takes the, the recommendation to get a, a meeting of all the world's leaders, um, takes that to the president. The president contacts the world leaders and gets the response from Russia saying, we will not go to a meeting in Washington. It must be in Moscow. And then the foreign secretary for the United Kingdom says, her majesty's government would accept a meeting in Washington, but not in Moscow. Yeah. So, okay. So he gets the point. Yep. And it seems pretty hopeless that his, his, whatever his message is, is not going to um, be told. However, there is always hope. He escapes the hospital when nobody is looking, <laughs> conveniently. And uh, he goes to live among the people to try and get a better understanding of what the people of Earth are like. And hopefully find an alternative to the UN. In the process, he ends up finding a little boy, Bobby. We like Bobby. He is precocious, to say the least. Yeah, and, and Bobby actually ends up needing a babysitter because his mom is, has a date. Woo! And Klaatu, as Carpenter, takes him uh, for the day. And the kid takes him to Arlington National Cemetery to see his father's... Uh, tomb his father died in world war ii or korea i don't think they no i think it was world war ii and uh it was definitely eye-opening and shocking for klaatu to see how many graves there were there all soldiers and how they were i think that how they were honored yeah they weren't just you know left behind somewhere forgotten these people were given a special spot and uh yeah maybe a little little twinge of respect there starts to show up but um and then they keep going yeah (laughs) and bobby suggests that no if you want to talk to need to talk to smart people there's nobody smarter than professor barnhart oh my god best character in the whole movie besides (laughs) gort he looks like a fluffy turtle he's got these tiny little eyes and he's got this little neck and he's got this fuzzy hair and he's just the cutest little character in the world Mm-hmm. Uh, Klaatu and Bobby actually break into his house and yeah. Klaatu uh, is solving some incredibly complex equation. Uh, it, it was he's nuclear, giving him hints. Nuclear physics. Yeah, so he's solving this problem that the doc, the, that the professor's been working on. Or, yeah, and a physicist, which makes sense. Uh, and he actually then gets leaves a note with the professor's assistant or housekeeper or whoever it is that catches them and professor barnhart actually manages to get the police to collect klaatu and bring him back yeah i have a feeling that that wasn't necessarily professor barnhart's (laughs) prerogative because when um when klaatu arrives he goes over to the soldier and says "Uh, tell the general uh i know this man and dismisses him. So I have yeah. a feeling that the military had been watching, mm. saw something, or 
got wind of something. Maybe the the housekeeper spilled the beans or something. And they were also probably also... They weren't sure it was him. They were probably also working with Professor Barnhart on something to do with the the spaceship. Because he's the smartest man in the world. Yeah. (laughs) So then Klaatu and and the professor um, talk science about the, the equation and everything and how... Yeah, he oh, was and, so and close great to questions. getting it right. Like I have so I have a thousand questions to ask of you, which is right because the and the professor figured it out because he's like, this is impossible. It's obviously right. The math it looks right, but nobody on Earth could have figured this out. And so Klaatu is like, well, uh-huh. and he's like, I have, I have thousands of questions. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I like that character, as you can tell. Besides the fact that he looks like a little turtle, and he also represents the scientific mind, and that's and then when they awesome. connected over science, Klaatu told him the message. Yeah, yeah, this is basically the one person he's trusted up to this point with the the message that um, Earth is doomed. Mm-hmm. Basically, uh, if the these outer planets have noticed that Earth has been dabbling in atomic power and as long as it stays on earth that's fine they could blow themselves to smithereens if they want but if it becomes a threat to anybody outside of the atmosphere beyond earth well they're gonna have to step in specifically it was the combination of nuclear technology and missiles which at this time they were working on developing the first icbms intercontinental ballistic missiles uh, it was, uh, you know, as soon as uh, Russia got the bomb, then the U.S. panicked, developed the B-52, and with German rocket scientists, they started working on, on how do you get a nuke on a missile and then launch it into space. So there was even a little bit of this that was kind of predictive of where the technology was going. Yeah, so it's kind of like a quick rundown, like a freeze frame moment of nineteen, what life was like in 1951, militarily, life-wise, that kind of thing. And um, which makes sense, because at this point, we're starting to get really, really nervous about nuclear weapons. Uh-huh. And also, if you think about it, at that time, the world had survived World War One, the Great Depression, and World War Two, and the Cold War was in full swing U.S. and Chinese forces were in direct conflict in World War II, direct combat, or not in World War II, in, in Korea. And MacArthur had kept trying to get nukes to use against the Chinese. He was trying to get nukes right then. Uh, it had not been determined at that time whether nuclear weapons were for deterrent use only or if they were acceptable for general warfare. Yeah, well... I guess the kind of such is if one goes off, they all go off and we're all dead anyway, right? So. But we hadn't, at, in 1951, oh, we hadn't, reached, we hadn't reached mutually assured destruction. True. There was still this hope that... Mutually assured destruction didn't happen really until ICBMs. What's crazy here is they were, see, they were predicting with this film that ICBMs were going to be a thing. And ICBMs are what ensured that nuclear warfare would not happen. Well, we also came very close to wiping out all life on Earth many times, many, many times. Oh, we're, we're working on that. We're doing the slow route right now. But. And it is also definitely concerning that in our current political climate that 
Apparently, nuclear weapons are back on the table. Oh, in a big way. Which is... Which is so funny that we're doing this episode right now. Right. Because it's like, oh, deja vu. We've got President Trump not willing to rule out nukes, which... What the fuck? Not willing to... Okay. Um, and we've got North Korea working on their ICBMs with the potential of having sufficient reach to hit Germany, France, the UK... Alaska, Hawaii, Seattle, Portland, that is, it's terrifying. So, yeah, this movie is actually quite relevant right now. Yeah, let, we, were, we had our timelines mixed up and we were trying to figure out when the, the second movie came out. And we're like, this doesn't make sense for that time period. But then we watched the movie and it's like, oh, we see the angle that they're coming at now. Yep. And, and we also, it doesn't work. We and also... Work better being released now than it did then. Yeah. And we also saw, I had misread the year. So I was thinking the second one was 1998. Nice, peaceful, t- relatively peaceful time. Everybody is, is getting along. Yeah, it's world police, but um, much better than now or 1951. Um, so then the professor agrees to try to get all the world scientists together, but he needs a demonstration to even at least be able to get them to be allowed to attend. And Klaatu says, okay, I can do that. And then Barnhart says, you can't kill anyone and you can't destroy anything. (laughs) And Klaatu's like, how about a demonstration? That's going to be harder, but I can do that. (laughs) They come up with this pretty ingenious plan. Oh, he doesn't tell Barnhart. No. Oh, that's true. He doesn't. He goes off. He just tells him that it's going to happen at noon. Yeah. And then he goes off and disappears. It's like, oh. And then for right at noon, all human power is cut off. All electrical and mechanical power stops. Which doesn't, shouldn't really work, but oh well. He has the power. The power. <laughs> <laughs> He's got the power. And um, so yeah, all electricity, all the cars are stuck. People start to panic. Half hour goes by. He's stuck in the elevator with Mrs. Benson, who's Bobby's mom. Mm-hmm. Bow, chicka, bow, bow. No, <laughs> people. Not that kind of elevator scene. Um, uh, if only. He's actually, well, during this whole thing, he's. it's pretty obvious that she knows who he is. Or he at comes, least suspecting. Sus- suspects. And, uh, yeah, they, they kind of develop a, 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 a respect and relationship. Well, he, he while can they're trust in the elevator, her, so he's finding trying to find out from her because he just happened to run into her, uh, or it might not have been just happened to, but he wanted to find out what Bobby said because Bobby saw him at his spaceship while he was programming the ship to cut the power. And of course, Bobby blabbed to Mrs. Benson and her boyfriend, and they didn't believe him, but, but she was still kind of. They got the, the the gears turning. The gears turning, and he decided. Clawtu uh, decides that um, he can trust her, and he tells her who he is, and uh, and why he's here, and why he's here. So she's now a willing partner in trying to get this whole shindig stopped, um, which is really important later. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, a half hour goes by, and power is restored, and people are like, "Holy crap!" 
this guy's either really super powerful or we're way too um dependent on power <laughs> definitely a bit of that yeah um her boyfriend had also figured it out when there was this kind of subplot going on with these diamonds that Klaatu was well, using as currency right. and and when they got back and bobby said that you know mr carpenter had was, was the alien they're like no 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 but they wanted to go get him and and have him show but no he was still off at the spaceship and the boyfriend went up to his room let himself in and he found a diamond on the floor and had hung on to it. And while the power was cut out, he was at a jeweler getting it appraised. And the jeweler was like, I have never seen a specimen like this in my entire life. This is the most perfect diamond ever. This could not have come from this world. This is before lab created diamonds. Yeah. <laughs> and then he takes it to two other jewelers and figures out after they all apparently say the same thing that he's the he's the alien. And so he tells the military. Yeah. Thanks, guy. Well, and Mrs. Benson tries to stop him. She she understands what what's going on here, what's at stake. So she's trying to convince her boyfriend to not do it. And she's like, don't you care? He's like, I don't care about anyone else. She kind of draws her hand back and the guy's like, well, I'm just doing what I need to do for myself here. It's like. Oh, dude. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Self-cock blocked. The And she runs off. Doesn't want to have anything to do with him anymore. Um, and she helps Klaatu escape. The military is right behind them and is chasing and closing in. And he tells her while they're escaping in this, this cab, if anything happens, tell Gort, Klaatu, Barada, Nikto. Now, obviously, Klaatu is his name, so mm-hmm. Klaatu something something either is in danger or has died or something along those lines. Um, but this is when you know, the bone-chilling words are first spoken. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> and of course, as it comes to pass in, for, in an f- epic foreshadowing sort of way, he exits the vehicle and gets shot down by the military and dies. Dun-dun-dun. Mm-hmm. Mrs. Benson runs back to the spaceship which must have been really damn close to the apartment because she just ran there. Well, they were trying to get to it. So she, they were almost there. Oh, oh okay. Okay. And, uh, and she approaches, that's Gort. Now, I think at this point, Gort automatically turns on. Well, Gort, for some reason, had already just turned on. They'd had him I think encased. It's, it's, oh, yeah. They they'd had, had him even... encased in this plastic that's stronger than steel that they'd just developed as his experimental stuff they completely encased him in it and he was melting it right i think he turned on when his when like Klaatu's life signs ceased or something yeah and then he took out the uh two military guards and so he's on this little mini rampage and she has to go up to him and say these words and not die yeah and he's got his eye shield up and his little cylon eyes looking at her and she manages to say say the words and then he goes and collects Klaatu's body. He just barges in, Yep, picks up the body, barges out. Good old Gort. <laughs> Everybody needs a Gort. Takes him back to the ship with Mrs. Benson with him. And the ship restores Klaatu. 
Yeah. Heals him. Yeah. There's this whole, he must control life and death. Kind of like, ooh, mm-hmm. it's fancy, fancy stuff. And while this is happening, the scientists are all gathering. The military is trying to get the scientists to leave, but they aren't all that willing to. And all the media is there to document this meeting uh-huh. with the scientists. So as Klaatu and uh, Mrs. Benson exit the ship, he is basically given his platform. Yep. And from the ship delivers his message. About aliens watching them and they better be nice. And that Gort, they're gonna die. Gort is they they put a Gort on every planet, and the Gorts exist to make sure they don't wage war. They are an anti war police force. Yeah. They watch for any aggression or violence and stop it. And the guy admits it's not perfect. It's not a yeah. perfect system. But they haven't had any kind of wars in a long time. And they have to sacrifice a certain amount of sovereignty to these robots in order to guarantee that. So, I- Especially since once you reach a certain level of advancement, you are not only a threat to yourself and your own planet, but any violence can spill out into other planets and other systems. And so, yeah. And we were entering the space race, and it was obvious that that was going to happen. Unfortunately, it didn't happen. <laughs> we're still pretty much stuck on earth <laughs> at this point but, but good old 1950s optimism well, there actually i could imagine easily a alien civilization tracking voyager i mean like all right they've exited their solar system it's time it's time to give them the most epic littering ticket of all time it's time to give them the talk here's how you behave as a galactic <laughs> uh a member of the galactic community. And then he gets into the the ship. He never actually exits the ramp. Mrs. Benson does. And he goes back into his ship and departs. And that's... Uh, and that's the end. Yeah, that's the end of the movie. Now, the movie was based on a short, um, short novel called A Farewell to the Master by Harry Bates. And I have a feeling that that has to do with the whole scene with um, Klaatu dying and Gort activating and starting to go on a rampage mm-hmm. uh i think if anything happened to claw too he was instructed to go ahead and start doing his law enforcement which would have involved destroying everybody probably yeah um the spaceship this is so cool the spaceship which is a classic ufo um flying saucer design was designed by frank lloyd wright who is a famous architecture arch- architecturists Architect. 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 Sorry. Wow. <laughs> that is not a hard word. Architect. And um, he designed the outside to make it look seamless. He designed the inside to make it look all futuristic. And uh, that's well, just really cool. He also designed Gort's suit. One thing that was really cool while they were inside the ship is it looked like it was just a series of concentric circles. And they were, ent- yeah, so they entered... The outside circle, which was a hallway that led to the inside of the circle. It was cool. Yeah, they kind of hinted that there were a couple other circles further out. And, yeah, it was it was cool. Very cool. Yeah, the suit that he designed for Gort was to try and pre- uh, preserve the look of absolute seamlessness, which, you know, they mentioned in the movie, oh, this is an incredible material that we've never seen before, and... It seems to heal itself or something. I don't know. It's, it's pretty cool. 
But um, if you look really carefully, you can see the zippers down the uh, shoulders. Mm. Uh, that's how they got uh, Locke Martin into that. Um, Locke Martin is a... This is pretty much his only big role. Um, he was a, an actor who was seven foot, seven inches tall. That's pretty tall. That's ridiculously tall. He was an usher at the Chinese the, uh, the, the Grand Chinese Theater. Oh, wow. Um, being, you know, kind of attracting guests and stuff. And uh, because of his inherent weakness, he couldn't do things for more than a half hour stretch. So all those scenes with Gort, they were all split up and done at different times. Hmm. So even though it looked pretty seamless, Gort taking Klaatu back to the ship and all that stuff, those were all done probably days apart because he was so weak. Uh, What do you call that? When it giganticism, giganticism. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and and, okay. So the, this movie, um, by modern standards, any old movie is kind of weak. The, the plot development is always very slow. There's no special effects. So they're, they, they show suspense with the lighting Oh, epic use of lighting. And music. The music is so much more emotional. Like, they, they they play how to feel about every scene. Yeah. And if there's any reason for suspense or they're trying to hide something, they use shadows. And that is, there's much flashier ways of doing that now. Movies are a lot faster now. And it can make it really easy for old movies to seem kind of chintzy uh they 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 didn't have any way of explaining how why he was an alien who looked perfectly human yeah all aliens kind of look human back in those days i guess right it was it was the 1950s everything was done with film and Um, they didn't really explain how gort was going to destroy humanity one person at a time (laughs) <laughs> like he was just going to start right. on a rampage on Washington, D.C., and then eventually make his way across the world. I don't know. They didn't really explain that. But it was such a good movie. It was, it's, it's great. It's oh, a great so suspenseful action. Those are all the weaknesses of it. Yeah. When you look at it for a film of its time, or for of its era, and you judge it by its era, it is expertly done. The music is perfect. The lighting is perfect. They tell the story, again, without needing special effects. I think the only special effects that they did was when the spaceship opens and closes. But even that was part, partially man, uh, mechanical. Yeah. Well, special effects back then were mechanical. Well, that or animation drawing on the actual film I think strip. That, yeah. Yeah. So. Everything and, was manual And when you then. consider the timing with the... Um, cold war mm-hmm. and everything it was meaningful it's amazing they didn't get called before the un-american activities C- committee well when apparently when the um military they offered the script to the military and said we need your help with these scenes the military turned it down said we're not having anything to do with this you know we see what you're trying to do here and we don't approve um they ended up getting a bunch of military equipment from somewhere else hmm. and use the use those but um yeah American military was like, no way, we're not going to be part of your liberal, crazy... Pacifist agenda. Pacifists. And it was... But what what I liked... One of the things I really liked about it is the fact that, no, you can't deliver a message like this to one country. 
Because if they had told the U.S., you must stop fighting, you must lay down your arms, the Soviet Union would roll across Europe. If, if the U.S. then got their European allies to follow suit, the Soviet Union would have rolled across Europe by the, the end of the week. If you do unilateral pacifism in a very, very agitated situation like 1951, everybody loses. It would have had to be everybody together agreeing to stop. And the amazing and beautiful thing about the message was that everyone has to be a part of this. Everybody has to do it together. And if everybody comes together, we can stop this insane violence. I have a feeling Gort went on a rampage shortly thereafter. <laughs> um, but I would have loved to have see, to see a movie done um, based on the original that took place in, let, let's say, Klaatu landed in Moscow. Yeah. And did the same thing, but on the Russian side. I think that would be so, like, because it would have turned out the exact same way. Mm-hmm. But I still think that would be really cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Because it was kind of, um, they went to Arlington Cemetery, they went to the Washington Mall, saw Lincoln, oh, Lincoln was such a great man. I was like, okay, yeah, we get the whole pro-American thing. The best of humanity lives in America, was kind of like what they were inching at. I was like, no, I want to see this from the Russian point of view. (laughs) From the Soviets. And I wouldn't say that the message was the best of humanity is in America. They were looking at some of the best of America. Yeah, but he, and seeing he that, even admitted that that must have been a great man. Yeah. Well, and you would argue with that about Lincoln. Yeah. Uh, but I I love the fact that they had a clear message. They presented it very well, and they were consistent and on point, unlike the remake. Yeah. Record scratch. Er. Now we're going to talk about Keanu Reeves. Before we start talking about the movie itself, you take everything about the original and you flip it. (laughs) They told the story using special effects. They never presented a clear message. The message was never actually really delivered. It was hinted at. It was implied. But the message was never delivered. (laughs) Yeah. Humanity really had no idea what the hell just happened. Nobody, there was never a a gathering of people to deliver a message to. And he decided that, okay, people can change. People can, no, no, nobody had, no, nobody was going to change after that. Nope. Especially when they don't know why they need to change. Especially when they have no idea why half the Eastern Seaboard just disappeared. And then, of course, they also... Had to go all Bible-y on it. Oh, so many Bible-like correlations. It was it was painfully obvious. They like, even mentioned it. I mean, there there's no obvious about it. They were blatantly basing mm-hmm. it off of the Ark. The last third was basically Genesis, Exodus, and then Jesus. Just a whole lot of Keanu Jesus in your face. Okay, so now that we've got that all... Okay. Uh, The one good thing I would say about it, Keanu Reeves did a wonderful job playing an alien in a human body. He does great at being not quite human. Yeah. His acting was perfect. Yeah, it really was. It was perfect for the the role. Um, Okay, cut to a frozen wasteland. 
Keanu Reeves. Blowy orb. He hacks through the ice to get to it, and then it light. shocks him. And then that's it. Now, that was 1928. 1928. Okay, then we cut back to a woman who is a some kind of teacher at a university who uh, is an expert in extremophiles. She's an astrobiologist. Well, we find that out, yes. Um, disgusting, you know, disgusting with her students. What could, what of these three kinds of bacteria could survive on Jupiter's blah blah Anyway, very educated. <laughs> she is, this shows Mrs. Benson. Helen Benson. It's her and this not so precocious little boy uh, who, she's the stepmom with the father missing, so they're constantly fighting. Yeah. Uh, his father died in Iraq. I wish he had died several times during the movie. Uh, yeah, the, the boy's father had died, <laughs> was in the Army Corps of Engineers and died in Iraq, and his the boy's mom died when he was a baby. So he's left with stepmom, who he distrusts. Um, anyway, she gets rushed off to the uh, by the government to a site of uh, what they believe is going to be a, a ship landing in Manhattan. Well, they don't actually believe that. At the point they get her to... Oh, that's true. They think it's going to be... Crash. It's it, some, some... Yeah. Something is going to crash into Earth. They, at that point, had determined it was not a comet or asteroid. It was A, moving too fast, and B, not responding in a normal, even highly elliptical orbit. It was obviously being directed somewhere, and they reran the calculations like... It's headed right towards Earth at three times 10 to the seventh meters per second. Which is fast. So they're predicting at that point, all life on Earth is about to be vaporized. So they gathered all these scientists together for observation, I guess? Uh, It was to figure out the recovery plan, like get a head start on recovering. And that's when one of the scientists says, there is no recovering from this. If that impacts... It will vaporize the atmosphere and everything on Earth. Luckily for us, or maybe not, it didn't. Right. It then started slowing down because they get to the the impact. And this is the weirdest part. They get all these scientists together to work out the recovery plan, and then they put them on a military helicopter to fly to the tar- projected impact site. Yep. And first ones to die. They're waiting. All the scientists that know anything. Right. They're waiting to be vaporized when the time runs out and nothing happens. And then they get word it's slowing down. And then she sees it out the window and huzzah, it's a big glowy orb thing. Which I have to admit looks pretty cool. Very special effecty. It was okay at that point. A little weird because when the dust cleared, I kept seeing little bits that kind of looked like the globe in the orb yeah kind of kind of like continents and oceans orbiting around inside of this orb yeah i thought it looked like labradorite which is a really cool stone that kind of is iridescent like that Hmm. but yes so and then these these scientists and the military are the first ones to approach the sphere uh helen benson is the closest the alien emerges mm mm-hmm She's about to reach out to it and make first contact, and then somebody shoots it. Yep. So, correlates with the first movie. Now, at this point, I do want to say, aliens arrive. Number one, resistance is futile. If they are that advanced, 
and you show up with the military, the military is not going to be able to help. In fact, it's probably going to hinder. If anything, you're just going to piss them off and aggravate them. And if they have the ability to travel to Earth from another solar system, they have the ability to conquer the Earth. So sending the military, that's a bad idea. Have them on the, in the area. Okay. Don't have them right up front. That should be the State Department. Yeah. Not yeah. defense. And it shouldn't have been an astro-microbiologist right. reaching out to touch this alien. Now, I do think it would be good to have some astrobiologists present, yeah, some physicists present. You don't sp- specialize in bi- extremophile biology, then you go touch it. Right. That, that's And it's also not... Studying extremophiles and potential life on other planets is not, especially microbiology, does not prepare you for first contact with an alien race. Yeah. It, she happened to be the one who wandered close closest to it, right. really. Really, the best person to be there right then at that moment, granted, this they didn't think this was going to happen, they weren't prepared, but they should have had, say, an undersecretary of state. An ambassador of some sort. Yeah. The ambassador to the UN, maybe. It's in New York, like that one was. Uh, so anyway, okay, I've got that that gripe. Ah, uh, and then Gort. And then Gort arrives. Yep. So as soon as, like, Klaatu alien thing is shot, there's blood all over Helen, and then Gort emerges. And this is, re- the special effects for Gort made Gort awesome. Like, Gort was awesome in the first movie, no doubt. So eight foot tall aliens, pretty. This thing was... 30, 40 30, feet 40 tall. 30, 40 feet tall. Maybe, maybe 80 or 100 feet tall. Seamless, it was huge. metallic um, body. Cylon eye. Oh, it was great. It was a great homage to the original while also maintaining um, modern yeah. uh, effects. It was... I love Gort. And Gort then also eliminates military... Stuff. As Gort does. Melts oh, the, Gort. He melts bom, the... Bom, vaporizes bom. the guns, vaporizes the tanks, uh, and they haul off the alien. Oh, oh, but oh. just a little, little thing here. Just as Gort is about to, like, go full, full on, mm-hmm. um, you can hear the alien say, Barada Nikto. Yeah. Just really quick. Yep. Barada Nikto, which doesn't work with the original translation we thought we had figured out in the first movie, which is... Klaatu needs help or something along those lines. In this case, they were using it as stop what you're doing. Stand down makes Stand sense. Stand down. Um, but maybe with the original translation, it would be if you add Klaatu in front of it, Klaatu is down. Or Klaatu demands that you stand down. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, <laughs> anyway the again, the military sends a medic. They haul him off to a military hospital and... They don't know what to do, but they need to save this alien, and they have no idea what to do at all. They can't do any drugs. It starts going to cardiac arrest, so they... Send uh, in a surgeon. Well, before the surgeon, they try a uh, defibrillator, well, which fries everything in the room. Knocks out all the lights, all the instruments go dead. Then one of them, some of the instruments start coming back on, and it, it worked. Just this crazy jolt of electricity. And then they bring in a surgeon who is trying to get the bullet. This is a military surgeon, so he he knows what he's doing. This is 2008. A military surgeon would know what he's doing with trying to extract shrapnel. But it's blubber, kind of. And it's sloughing off. 
which is gross. Uh-huh. So there's this outer layer of blubber that is just, he just keeps taking it off. He's like, I think I'm supposed to do this. And it, when he does actually get to the wound site. He finds that there is flesh, muscle, bone. It looks human. So dun-dun-dun. And then you've got this weird, naked... Human proto... Kind of human thing. And then over the course of a couple days, it... Matures. Matures into Keanu Reeves. Keanu Reeves! Keanu slash Klaatu is born. And so the, the basic plot here for the alien is... And you imply that they got the Keanu Reeves original DNA from the orb... Um, from the first orb. From the first orb. 1928. And then they use that DNA to, with this placenta-like Shield. shell around probably his original alien body to convert his body into human. Keanu Reeves. Human. Not quite human. And the uh, they did a DNA analysis and found three different, very distinct species DNA, including human. So, yeah, there's human, alien, and then the placental... Also alien. Alien. So, yeah. So, this explains why the alien looks human. Yep. And also is already suggesting multiple planets involved. Maybe. Um, I I could see this definitely just being bioengineering from one species. Which they never actually say. But they don't say. They never say it's a, a federation of planets or anything. Just that there are planets... Mm-hmm. In the area. Anyway. Um, so as Keanu Klaatu starts to gain consciousness, the military, of course, takes over and tries to do the one thing that the military is so good at and fuck everything up. <laughs> um, they decide to interrogate him. And of course, this isn't just Klaatu now. This is Keanu Klaatu, mm-hmm. who is so much more like Neo from the Matrix that it's it's obvious as to why he got this role. Um, oh, yeah. So he owns them with psychic powers. He can he can communicate through electricity. He can well, see through security cameras. It's he actually can, not psychic. It's all electrical power. It's all he. Yeah, he like owns electricity. So through the the electrodes that they put on him for a polygraph, he's able to take control of the mind of the person administering the test. He takes over the network system and is looking at all the through all the security cameras and can control the alarm system and all the door locks and sets up everything for him to escape. So he runs away. Including incapacitating everybody with horrible, terrible sounds. Electricity sounds. Um, as he's running away, though, he notices that he's injured and that he's going to need some help. Uh, so he finds helen because he remembers her mm-hmm. um she helped him out she didn't instead of giving him truth serum drugs she ended up giving him just saline and telling him to run and told him to run so he's like okay i trust her so he kidnaps her thanks yep and uh bob what, what was the bobby boy's name jimmy i can't even remember i, I really remember. could care less if that kid survived <laughs> he was awful um <laughs> he was a brat uh, they they go and visit Professor Barnhart. Yay! The smartest man alive. Who's a biologist? Oh, well, they just said that she worked with him. He was actually just doing nu- doing physics hmm. on his boi- on his chalkboard. Anyway, it's John Cleese, so yeah. of course it's awesome. 
and there's Bach on the radio and Klaatu is looking around and he's like, okay, this is something I respect. This is something I get. I, I understand humanity a little bit better now. Um, and I think that's the turning point of the movie where it's like, yeah, there's this guy who's going to destroy the earth that you aren't really a hundred percent sure about yeah. yet. Or, and then it turns to somebody who actually sees a little bit of humanity that yeah. he can respect. And then, all right, skipping ahead a bit, um, the kid calls the police. Cause the kid's a brat. The military comes, captures Helen. Helen! And Klaatu and the kid... The kid's sorry now because Klaatu helps the kid get unlost. Yeah. It was, this kid calls the military on this guy and then gets lost in the woods. He's like, I don't know where we are. Klaatu's like, yeah, whatever, this way. Yeah. Well, you, and now the kid is like this little puppy. He's like, oh, uh-huh. okay. He went from, please don't hurt me, to, can you get me home? Ugh. And then Should've left him. In he the woods. figures out a place after... Uh, mom gets let out by the secretary of defense. Um, the kid figures out a place where they can meet and it is at a national cemetery where his dad was buried. And more so than anything, this is the point where the kid gets redeemed because now the kid gets to do his whole grieving of his father that apparently he hasn't been doing. He doesn't blame Helen anymore. They cry, they hug mm-hmm. it over and Klaatu is watching this and saying humans can change. Yeah. Now, one thing I can say from uh, my own experience is you can't process stuff like that as a kid. And as you grow up, you end up having to reprocess it um, a few times until you can actually think about it as an adult and then finally come to terms with it. At least for me, uh, the whole uh, father that disappeared thing. It, yeah. It, it took me... Uh, Three tries to really process through that. Yeah. So in the meantime, while this is all going on, there's a couple of subplots that are happening. Mm-hmm. One are there are spheres all over the earth at this point, and all the spheres yep. start attracting animal life to them. Uh, at one point, they're being observed. It's like, oh, is that what the aliens look like? It's like, no, that's a cephalopod. That's an octopus and squid. That's oh, it. They did such a terrible job of presenting this because at first. Klaatu is bringing up an orb from this lake in New Jersey, or not even a lake, just a little pond, and bugs and salamanders and snakes and fish are all heading towards it. Yeah, that's what stuff like that does in response to light. They move towards it. Right, it wasn't very clear at that point, but as they went through and showed the other spheres, it became obvious that... And then by the time they saw a cephalopod... It was like, oh, okay, they're like, collecting animal specimens. Is that what, what the aliens look like? No, that's ours. And that's when Madam Secretary finally figures out, oh, crap, this is actually an arc. And that when Klaatu told her... And that's when the movie just implodes on itself. Right, and she, that's when she remembers, or she even says, oh, now I know why, what he meant when he said, you don't, humans don't own the, or you don't own the planet. He wasn't talking about America. He was talking about humans. Yeah. So at this point, it's pretty clear. He tells Helen, he, uh, humans are abusing the Earth. This is uh, one of very few planets that can hold this kind of climate. Um, that can sustain complex life. That can sustain and, complex yeah. life. And in order to protect it, they're basically having to wipe out the parasite, which is us. Yep. Gort 
in the meantime, turns into a plague of human and oh, human. That was actually kind of cool the way that happened, though. Machine eating locusts. Because bugs. they took Gort, encased him in, in some kind of shielding Metal thing. Shielding. Transported him somewhere. And then put somewhere. him into a nuclear missile silo. Poor Gort. Where they broke the diamond drill, which that had happened in the first movie as well. <laughs> um, diamond drill breaking. And they send a technician to go in to fix it because they don't have time for the robots to fix it. And then his suit starts getting eaten. And the drill is getting eaten. Yep. By these little microscopic insects. So they decide to blast the tube. And there's this huge blast of fire all the way through. And then Gort just completely turns into these little microscopic and we get this cybernetic locust, swarm, locust plague thing that eats everything human related. So it's eating buildings, uh-huh. it's eating cars, it's eating people. And it gets stronger every time it eats because they replicate. Yeah. So all these cute little bug things just feel kind of like silverfish, I guess. We don't have those here, but that's kind of what they reminded me of. Hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. So now we have a plague. We have an ark. All we need is Jesus. And, uh, that would be Klaatu, Keanu Jesus, Neo. Because the plague by this point has made it to Central Park, where Helen got Klaatu to, and he has to save humanity now because he has decided that, yes, humans are capable of change. And he runs out into the storm of Gort, who manages to almost tear apart his body, but he manages to touch the orb just in time to make Gort stop. Yep. And all the spheres. All the locusts die. Yeah, it's just... They've already eaten half of the eastern seaboard at this point. Which is great for America, because that means that the rest of America now has this resource that's just these dead little (laughs) insects all over that are made of this amazing metal. Yeah, they're going to be rich for a long time. But if they're made out of, like, gort, metal that we can't do anything to. But we could probably do something with... You can't grind it? Dude, you figure it out. (laughs) Figure it out. Anyway, the death of Gort was sad. Yeah. And then the orb gets up, goes up and leaves. And the little kid makes some comment about, he's like, oh, they're leaving. He's like, no, he's leaving. Like he might have possibly survived being torn apart by Gort, whatever. So he's... Jesus light goes off into the... Oh, and he'd already demonstrated he had the potential of raising the recently dead back to life, but not the long dead. Yeah. And so he was this magical... Life-giving... Jesus. Jesus. Neo. Keanu. Latu. Uh, that's as much as we're going to get into that movie, because that's... that's It uh, was painful. That was too much, really, but we, we shouldn't have punished all of you with, with all the details of the 2008 one. But the 1951 one was amazing. Yeah, yeah. And everybody, and it's required sci-fi watching. Yes, definitely. It's on Netflix. Yes, it's often on there. So if it's not on there when you go look, wait a couple months, it'll be back on there. The 2008 one isn't. Although it has been before, so it might pop up again. But if you haven't seen the 2008 The Day the Earth Stood Still, I only recommend watching it if you're drunk. Yeah. Or high. The globe, glowy orb thing would be yeah. really awesome high. But yeah, sober, no, no, no. It's a bad movie. 
bad, bad movie. Bad movie. Bad and, Keanu. And, bad. and what really pisses me off about it is you take a great, amazing, one of the greatest sci-fis of all time, and you remake it into this weird, vague, religious-y bullshit? Environmentalist, religious-y, religiously oh, the, bullshit. Instead of getting really clear about the environmental message, which I could have forgiven all of it if they had been clear about the message, and if the message had been clearly presented to people, people other than Helen and Jimmy or whatever his name was, and nope, never really presented the message. Okay, humans are destroying the earth, and what do you expect us to do about that? You need us to change. Okay, nope, he's just going to fly away. How fast do you want us to change? Because oh, we could make big changes, but the road. To fixing our fossil fuel problem, unfortunately, is going to use a lot of fossil fuels. Because right now, that powers basically everything. Yeah. Now, what drives me crazy is, at least in the original movie, he does manage to get it out to the media and tells everybody. But in this movie, it was it was purposefully hidden by the military so that really only Helen... Her son mm-hmm. and the secretary, yeah, the president, are the only one, only three people who knew what the heck happened. Yeah. Secretary of Defense never actually was told the message, but figured it out. Bad movie, bad, bad. They We're rely- not even going to go over like the tor- the normal like good part, bad part. We've pretty much been over it. They they relied too much on special effects and not enough on telling the story, and not enough on Gort. And no, the good is the original. Good is the original. The bad is the remake. Yep. All right, everybody. I think that's it for this episode. It makes me mad. That's okay. We'll watch something good next time. No, we did watch a good one. We'll watch something that doesn't have a bad remake next time. Oh, man. Remakes. If if any of you are aware of a good remake, let us know. Oh, yeah. That's a fun challenge. Because, and if anybody says Star Trek... No, the reboot is terrible. <laughs> I liked it. It is pandering to non-fans at the cost of the fans. Okay, Dustin. It's bad. Anyway, yes, if if you can think of any good uh, remakes, yes, let us know. Um that would be it would be fun to do one of those. Or if you have a request for a particular movie, let us know. I would Oh, I, Celia gives us lots of requests. Yes, yes. Um, not zombie flicks, unfortunately. <laughs> they, they're they too generic. We could do an entire podcast just on zombie flicks, and Dustin's not a fan, so. Uh, I enjoyed zombie movies for about two of them, and then it was like, okay, I'm watching the same movie over and over and over, and why are there so many frickin' zombie movies right now? They're so vampire. Uh-huh. Anyway, and uh, we will see you next time. Mm-hmm. Thanks for joining. Bye. You can visit us on the web at scifinomads.com, email us at contact at scifinomads.com, tweet us at scifinomads, or like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash scifinomads. In each case, it's spelled S-C-I-F-I-N-O-M-A-D-S. No spaces and no hyphens. Theme music in this episode is Urban Jungle 2061 by Eric Matias, www.soundimage.org.